Good morning. Hey, it works. Um, first off, let me just say what a blessing it is to hear God's people sing. Um, I'm here to bring you a message this morning, but I feel I've already had a message uh, by, by hearing that singing and uh, joining with you in worship, so that was wonderful. Um, yes, my name's Roger Hadley. Um, I'm bringing you the message this morning. Um, I'm an elder here at Harvest. Um, I, many of you know me, but in case you don't, you're kind of looking, yeah, I think I've seen that guy before. If you can picture me back there on the drums, um, yeah, I'm that same guy, right? And somehow they, they let a drummer be an elder. I don't know uh, <laughs> how that worked, but here I am. Um, and, uh, you know, I might be a little bit nervous this morning because this is the first time I've actually delivered a sermon uh, in front of a congregation, so... Just, I'd I'd appreciate your prayers. Um, And actually, to that note, let's pray right now. Uh, Lord, uh, once again, we come before you asking for your blessing and your presence here. We know that you're here, Lord. Um, Just pray that these words that you've laid on my heart would also uh, speak to the hearts of those here. We depend on your spirit, Lord. Amen. Okay, so... Parable of the Good Sermon. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yes, there we go. I, I, I had to have, I had to have my, my uh, first faux pas. Um, there we go. Parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, when Matt asked me to uh, speak, of course I said, please ask somebody else. No, um, you know, I was a little hesitant. And then he said, well, we're doing a series of sermons on parables. Uh, okay, well, you know, maybe I could do that because, hey, everybody loves a good story, right? And Jesus, of course, did a lot of his teaching with stories. And, um, and then when I heard it was the parable of the Good Samaritan, I thought, okay, yeah, that's a good one. That's a well-known and, of course, has many, uh, many things to learn. And so that encouraged me that I would be able to maybe pull this off. Um, but be- so before we actually read it, let's just, you know, kind of from the high level, hey, the Good Samaritan, right? What does that mean to our culture? I mean, even people that don't know anything about the Bible, don't know about the parable, have probably heard something about a Good Samaritan and kind of know what that means. Um, You know, hey, we've got Good Samaritan Hospital, right? Uh, Healing the sick. There's such a thing as the Good Sam Club, right, an RVers club to help travelers in need. Um, So, you know, even if people don't know a lot, maybe they've kind of heard the story, so at a really high view, um, you know, parable of the Good Samaritan. A guy gets robbed, beaten, left for dead. First guy comes along, doesn't help him. Second guy comes along, doesn't help him. Third guy comes along, the good Samaritan, who helps him. Bandages him, takes him to an inn, pays for his care. Okay, moral of the story, be good, like the good Samaritan. Do good deeds, help those in need. And you know, if this parable has had a positive influence, encouraged people, been a model in that way, that's great. Um, What we're going to look at, though, is that certainly as we read the scripture and we kind of see the story around the story, what was happening as Jesus told that story, the people that originally heard it, they heard a whole different message or a message in addition to that, I guess I could say. And I think us today as Jesus followers, as his disciples, we also can get more out of it and hear kind of the rest of the story, if you will. Um, So that's what we're going to look at. So, let's see, I think I've got my clicker here. Yay! Okay, 
So we're going to read it, and uh, I'll encourage you to follow along on your Bible or device or whatever it is you might have. I'm going to read from Revised Standard Version in your Pew Bible. It's uh, page 735, Luke 10, uh, starting with uh, verse 25. So I'll give you a minute to find that. Luke 10, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? Third, third uh, book in the New Testament. So here we go, starting with verse 25, Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to the lawyer, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Okay, so take a look at this uh, kind of uh, story around the story. This is obviously a dialogue between Jesus and uh, a lawyer. Now, this was a religious lawyer, not a civil lawyer like we might think, um, expert in Jewish law. And um, these kind of encounters happened actually numerous times. We hear uh, accountings throughout the gospel where um, one of the current you know, Jewish religious leaders of the day would be trying to trap Jesus in some kind of public debate and kind of make him look bad, basically was the, the lawyer's intent here. Um, he wanted to kind of hopefully maneuver Jesus into a corner and you know, get him talking about some complication, some detail of Jewish law where he could say, aha, right, you're wrong or something. Um, and guess what? Jesus always comes out on top in these things, right? It's a bad idea to, you know, ask the guy who wrote the scripture, <laughs> try to trap him with it, but they kept trying, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so what we see, and they, you know, they have this opening salvo about, you know, the, it, was, it was well known, I think, in those days. It wasn't like the lawyer just made this up for the first time, right? Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It was known that, that those two commands kind of captured the whole law. And so that was kind of the opening salvo of this debate that the lawyer was trying to uh, draw Jesus into. Now, you notice Jesus never answered any of the lawyer's questions directly. Very clever. Jesus, of course, is a master debater. Um, but it's really the second question, who is my neighbor? 
that prompts Jesus to tell the parable. And the reason that he tells the parable is because he rejects the whole premise of that question, basically saying, you know, that question is so far off base, right? I'm not even going to try to answer that. And he tells the parable really to reorient um, the lawyer and reorient the whole, the whole discussion. So what was it that he was rejecting? Well, um, as we know, it says right in the text, uh, seeking to justify himself, you know, the religious leaders, the religious, um, the Jewish religion, really, in that day and even now, it's about work. So it's about obeying the rules to obey, uh, to gain God's favor, right? You know, checklist, I, I want a checklist, I want to be able to check them off so I know, did I do it or not? Okay, yes, I did it, now God's happy with me, right? That was more or less the approach. Uh, like many religions are. So Jesus rejected that. He also rejected this whole idea because obviously the, the, the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, the intent is I want my neighborhood to be as small as possible, right? Because if I have to obey this law, love your neighbor as yourself, on my own, I want a small neighborhood. I want it just the people that are easy to love, right? And so that's, that's his intent. So he wanted to make a rule that, to, to uh, reduce the size of his neighborhood, right? Um, Jesus throws that out and says, okay, fine, I'm going to tell a parable um, to answer this because that, that's not even the right question. So <clears throat> if you notice, by the time we get to the end of the parable, Jesus actually turned the question around the other direction. And if you'll allow me to help explain this, um, if we could take that word noun, neighbor, turn it into a verb, right? Neighboring, one person neighbors another. Because really what the lawyer was asking is, who do I need to neighbor? Who might be in need? Who do I need to show love to, right? And he wants that to be a small group of people. By the end, the parable, Jesus has turned that question around, not who do I need to neighbor, but who do I need to neighbor me, right? It's coming back the other direction. Um, and so if we'll, we'll just talk through this really quickly, um, kind of how the lawyer might hear it and how Jesus' um, hearers at that time might have heard this. Because Jesus told the, context, uh, told the story, of course, in the context of, of the Jewish culture. So they would have assumed everybody in the story is Jewish. Um, the lawyer has this idea. Jesus is answering the question, who am I supposed to neighbor? So the first guy comes along, the priest, the highest order of, of religious office, uh, obviously somebody who's supposed to know the law and be able to act it out. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't help. But the lawyer is identifying with the person who potentially would neighbor this person in need, would help the person in need. Second person comes along, also uh, religious office, a little bit lower standing, but still somebody you would expect to have the proper behavior by the law. He doesn't. He doesn't help them either, right? Okay, the third person comes along. The lawyer is probably expecting at this time, you know, Jesus is going to introduce another person who is going to make his point. Who is it? It's a Samaritan. Okay, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. As a matter of fact, they hated one another. As a matter of fact, they wished the others were dead. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, the Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds, had corrupted their religion. I did a little bit of study on this. I won't go into it. Suffice to say, they did not like one another. As a matter of fact, it, it very well could be that uh, if a Jew saw a Samaritan in need, they'd say, 
dirty dog deserves it, right? They would not want to help them, and, and vice versa, really. It went both ways. A lot of bad blood between those two groups. So, at this point, when the Samaritan enters the story, the lawyer has an identity crisis, if you will. Is he going to identify with the hated Samaritan? <laughs> right? He just... So who's he going to identify with? He's going to identify now with the guy who needs help, who needs to be neighbored. And Jesus totally flips it on him. And um, that's where it comes into, I mean, really, Jesus puts him in this um, position of, it, it's as if he's saying, okay, Mr. Lawyer, if you were near to death, ready to die, your only help, your only hope of, of, of being saved, of, of, of having your life saved, was to accept the help of a hated Samaritan. Would you do it? Right? I mean, that's the kind of corner that Jesus backed him into. And by the end, the lawyer, he gets it. He knows he's defeated, right? I mean, I can almost, he's almost hanging his head. He, he can't bring himself to answer and say, well, it was the Samaritan that was the, the neighbor. He says, the one who showed him mercy, right? I mean, he was, he was beat. Um, but he got it because even that word mercy has the aspect of showing kindness, um, goodwill towards somebody who doesn't deserve it. So, so the lawyer really did get it. Um, but where does that leave the poor... I say the poor lawyer. Well, anyway, I don't have much sympathy for him, but still, he's left with his attitude of, this is something I need to do under my own power. How am I going to do this? It's a hopelessly high standard, right? He, he's never going to be able to accomplish this with his rule-based approach to religion. Um, and I think that was intentional on Jesus' part, actually. He wanted to get him to that place. So, that was kind of the lawyer's view and those maybe that heard Jesus tell the story. Now, the Christian's view as now disciples of Christ, as many of us are, and I'll just speak mostly to that group, um, and we know now about Jesus' sacrifice and the way that, um, it, what it's like to be a disciple of Christ. Um, and, you know, how, how can we hear this? What, what are some of the things that we know? Well, Jesus is also talking to us about our neighborhoods because we all have them, right? And, you know, throughout history, people have been intent at dividing themselves into groups and distinguishing between people, the cool kids and the, you know, the not-so-cool kids, or, I mean, racial lines, ethnic lines. Um, it's everywhere, right? And, uh, you know what? Christians are not immune, right? Even Christians, actually, we heard uh, the, the sermon from Jordan last week from James about um, divisions in the church, discrimination or, or, or partiality in the church, right? Um, maybe you've heard the story of the man uh, shipwrecked on a desert island. Okay, this is a joke, right? Okay, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. Um, there for many years, all by himself, and finally he was rescued. His rescuers come ashore, and they see, oh, the shipwrecked man's living in a cave, but here's two buildings, and so they ask him, they say, well, what's the deal with these buildings? And the shipwreck man said, oh, well, that's my church. I built that so I have a place to go to worship God. And they say, well, what's this other building? He says, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> okay, well, it's only funny because it's kind of true, right? Um, hey, the church doesn't necessarily have a good, there's splinter groups, there's denominations, there's splinters of splinters and splinters over, over, over time, right? So Christians definitely um, have that as part of their, their background, so we're not immune to this idea of, you know, there's this in-group and out-group. Um, now, in the lawyer's case, 
right? He was trying to make as small a neighborhood as possible. You know, it was kind of like, well, you can be my neighbor and I'll let you in my neighborhood, but I don't want you in my neighborhood. And you can't be my neighbor, and don't you be my neighbor, and don't you be my neighbor, right? He was trying to eliminate as many people as possible. Now we might say, hey, in our day and age, we're more enlightened, and actually, I'd like to have people in my neighborhood. I mean, even as Christians, aren't we a little bit like that, right? Well, you know, I'd like to invite you. I've got a great neighborhood, and would you like to be my neighbor, right? Would you be mine? Could you be mine? <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? make the most of this beautiful day while we're together we might as well say would you be mine could you be mine won't you be mine sing along if you know it won't you please won't you please please won't you be my neighbor okay Yeah, I figured you need something to wake you up right about now, so. Um. Okay, so maybe some of you don't know what just happened. If you're especially, <laughs> especially if you're of the younger set. So, for, uh, real quickly, for many, many years, uh, much loved children's program on PBS, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and it's been a few years since it aired. A wonderful man, Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister, by the way, so hey, I'm okay, right, using him as an example, but... Um, and uh, our kids grew up on him, maybe many of yours did. Um, it was wonderful for our kids to be able to spend time every day in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood because it was safe. He made them feel special in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. People cared for one another. They got along. They were kind to each other. You know, even if they had differences, usually that was the puddles, uh, pu the, the puppets, remember? King Friday and all that. You know, they would, they would get in arguments, but then they'd all work it out in the end. Okay. Uh, that was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, a wonderful place for our children to be. Um, but, you know, even in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right, he wanted everybody to be his neighbor, but still there was kind of an expected code of conduct, especially now. There were some people we just did not want to be in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, right? I mean, especially anybody that might prey on or, or cause harm to children. You know, I don't think there was any, we don't, wouldn't want to have drug dealers in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Probably not terrorists, probably not rock and roll musicians or drummers, you know. I mean, <laughs> but really, right, I mean, even though it's a magnanimous, very much inviting neighborhood, still somewhere in, somewhere out. And so whether your neighborhood is a, you know, don't you be my neighbor, like the lawyer, or won't you be my neighbor, like Mr. Rogers, still, if there is even one person who's excluded from your neighborhood, and you take this command, love your neighbor as yourself, and you say, well, I'm going to love everybody except that one person. Jesus is telling us, nope, that's not the way that we apply this, okay? So, let's go on a little bit more and take a look at... There we go. So, 
really what is Jesus trying to teach us as his disciples, as his followers with this parable? Um, first of all, let me say that um, in, in, in realm of what I'm talking about this morning, um, I'm going to talk about uh, meeting people's physical needs, really. I think it's okay through the leading of the Spirit if the principles in this parable are applied to people with emotional needs, uh, broken people with relational needs, mental needs, all these different things, but for purposes of focus, um, I'll just keep us talking about um, physical needs. And um, so the key, really, that I think Jesus is drawing us to as his disciples, because he knew when he, when he uh, said this parable, when he originally said it, that you know, it wasn't only for the people there at that time hearing it. He knew that his disciples, his followers through the ages would be hearing this. Is compassion, okay? Compassion. That's in verse 33. And um, where it says, when the, the Samaritan saw the man and he had compassion, right? You know, this is the only place in the parable of all the characters where we get a glimpse into what's going on inside the person, not just his actions or his behaviors. That's very much like Jesus, right? It's about the heart. It's about what's going on inside of us, not necessarily what we're doing, but what is inside. And that, I did a little word study. It's that word moved with compassion is what some translations say. It was from deep within. They had the idea that compassions came kind of from the gut. We might think of heart, heartbreaking, heartrending, all those kind of, I mean, it was a strong emotion, a strong feeling of compassion that the Samaritan had for the lawyer. And here's the thing, when we talk about neighborhood, you know, we don't know, maybe the Samaritan really didn't like Jews. Maybe the Samaritan was an enlightened Samaritan or whatever and, and he thought they were okay, it doesn't matter because when the Samaritan saw the man that was beaten and robbed, he had compassion at that point, neighborhood was meaningless, right? Irrelevant, the thought of who is that person? Are they a good person? Or are they a bad person? Or are they a Jewish Samaritan? He didn't even think about it. He had compassion, and he acted. And it was through the compassion that motivated the action, wasn't it? Um, it, was, it was sacrificial, what the Samaritan did. By stopping, he very well was putting his own life in danger. Um, this was a dangerous road, a well-known place where people were robbed all the time. Um, they call it the way of blood, actually. Um, if this man had just been beaten and robbed, and he was not dead yet, right, but had been left for dead, it was more than likely the robbers were nearby. Still, the Samaritan uh, stopped and potentially, you know, put his own personal safety in, at risk. Um, obviously, the Samaritan was generous, right? Took of his own bandages, wine, oil, uh, helped him, sacrificed his time, took him to the inn, paid for him, and not only that, but basically left a blank check, right? I'll pay whatever it, it takes to take care of this person. Very, very open-ended and generous. Okay, just looking at that model as Christians, I don't know about you, but I can't be good enough for that, right? I mean, if I think, how am I going to do that? How am I going to live the whole world, know, especially the people that are hard to have compassion on, have that kind of sacrificial, generous, open-ended love, you know what? It's still a hopelessly high standard if we just look at it like it's up to me to be good. It's up to me to be good enough. So, but Jesus doesn't leave us there, right? Because we have the gospel. 
And so if we look at really this whole idea of neighboring, neighborhoods off the table, right? But neighboring others, taking care of others, uh, especially those in need, rooted in Jesus' love. Well, just like we've been studying in James, both faith and works are necessary. Um, I feel led to not necessarily give you a list of here's all the neat ways that you can help those in need, even though I did find out a lot of clever ways that people have done this. Um, for one thing, I'm not qualified. Truthfully, I struggle with this. Very truthfully, I'm in my car, freeway on-ramp, a guy there with a sign. What do you do? I feel conflicted, right? Sometimes I give him something. One time I gave a guy a sandwich out of my lunch. A lot of times I drive by. And then I'm thinking, what, I should have done something, right? I feel guilty. Um, I don't have it figured out. I'm praying about it. I think God's working on me. Um, but I'm not really going to tell you necessarily, and I don't really want us to have a focus on, on the, the specific deeds. Um, another reason is that, you know, in my observation, well-meaning Christians who I think really are seeking God's heart and spirit in this manner come down on different sides of this. And they don't always have the same reaction. You know what? You can't judge necessarily by what you see somebody doing for somebody in need, really what's going on in their heart. A real quick example, um, as many of you know, my daughter uh, lives in a Central Asian uh, country, Islam country, uh, and she's here. Um, and um, we visited her uh, about a year and a half ago on, during Christmas. And in uh, the few times that we went out, about, uh, out and about in the town, uh, lots of beggars, oftentimes children, oftentimes pretty aggressive. And we noticed that my daughter and the women that she lives with, also Christians, um, they pretty much had a policy. They did not give, hand out money to the beggars on the street. Okay. Um, on the other hand, we took uh, several taxi trips with a um, Muslim, obviously Muslim taxi driver that my daughter trusted, and he was a nice guy, and, you know, he, he helped us around town. Um, I noticed he had a little uh, dish of pennies or whatever was the smallest denomination of their currency um, sitting right there, and when he would stop at a stop, well, actually, they don't stop at stoplights <laughs> <laughs> at all, um, but sometimes he had to slow down because a donkey cart or something was going by, and he had to stop. Um, there would be a rap, rap, rap on the window, here's a beggar, he rolled down his window, give him a penny, bigger would go off. And it was kind of like this transaction was commonplace. This had happened before. But he was pretty consistent with that, that we noticed. And so, you know, talking to my daughter, she says, well, you know, for the, the Muslim man, that's, he's earning points to go to heaven with the hope that if he gets enough points, he'll be led into heaven, right? Now, for my daughter and the women that she lives with, all Christians, they are very generous, and I'm not going to give you the details for, well, somewhat for security reasons, but... They're very generous in what they give, very, you know, sacrificial, generous, and they help that community, but they decided through prayer that handing out money to beggars on the street is not the best way to help that people, right? Um, so, you know, people come down on different sides of this, and you can't judge necessarily by their actions um, what it is going on in their heart. But here's really what happens, is that... Um, you know, because we're Jesus' disciples, we've had, you know, he saved us, really. We know that we're not good enough, but only Jesus lived the perfect life, right? And when we get to that point to saying, God, I can't do it, I need you, he saves us. 
we're in relationship with him. The Holy Spirit works in us. We get that Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then transforms us to be like Jesus, produces the compassion. The compassion produces the action. Okay, it's not the other way around. You don't do the actions first. It's the compassion. It's that, it's that Holy Spirit working through us. That's, I think, what Jesus wants us to hear as his disciples. Um, and really, you know, where does the motivation for that compassion come from? When you think about it, Jesus neighbored us first, didn't he? He loved us first. And when you think about um, when we were broken, when we were in rebellion even, when we were saying, God, I don't want you in my life, I can do it on my own. Finally, we come to the place we go, I can't do it on my own, I need you. When we were most undeserving, that's where Jesus saved us, okay? So, because Jesus, of, you know, it goes right back to the beginning of the parable, doesn't it? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor. Those are, though, that, that vertical, horizontal, very much connected. And that's really where this comes to. So, let's, we're going to talk just a little bit about how um, how that works, how we can kind of, um, if you will, prepare ourselves as fresh-tilled soil for God's, the spirit of, uh, uh, work of God's Spirit to take root in us, produce that harvest, if you will, of compassion. Um, and uh, I don't want to just leave you there kind of saying, now just go, you know, go uh, uh, kind of like, let, let the Spirit work on you. Um, there are some things we can do, right? So in this whole faith and works thing, Yes, there are some things you can do. You don't just sit there and say, well, I guess I'm just going to have to let God work on me. There's nothing I can do about this. No, there's definitely things we can do to put ourselves in the right place for that God's Spirit to work on us. Of course, feed on the Word, right? That's what we're doing this morning. Look into God's Word, see how things are connected, understand the, the character, the, the principles of God, the, the character of Jesus, and then we'll know what it's like to be transformed. Um, meditate, okay? Meditate is a little different than um, study. In meditate, you take one um, maybe attribute of Jesus, one concept, and you just try to go deep and let it sink deep in your soul. I know for me, because truthfully, one of the struggles I have is that people who I might, uh, might judge truthfully and think, well, you know, by through their own choices, they put themselves in this position of need. It makes me less likely to feel compassion for them. Okay, but there again, who am I to say that when I think about Jesus, what Jesus did for me? So for somebody like me, I might uh, meditate on um, some of the scripture, scriptures from Romans 6, uh, or actually Romans 5, verses 6 to 10. Um, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I could, I could just, you know, start my day with that and renew that in my mind throughout the day. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me while I was God's enemy. I was reconciled to God by the death of his son. These are the things that we can do to allow God's spirit to work in us and, and sink into us. And of course, ask, right? That's where prayer comes in. Uh, that two-way dialogue, that two-way communication with, with God. Um, hey, I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe if we ask God to, you know, if you're feeling inspired, moved by the Spirit to, um, to have that kind of compassion, right? Um, we ask for it. And um, so what I'd like to do, with your permission, and worship team, it's not time to come yet, up yet, but I'm going to pray, okay? 
Um, but I'm going to pray for myself as a model. And this is, this is a prayer that I pray more or less something like this every day as part of my greater prayer practice. Um, it's kind of, I, I think of it, I kind of get recalibrated with God, and it gives me a chance to kind of listen, too, and see what God might be saying to me. Um, so with your permission, I'm just going to pray for myself, but invite you to pray along. And if you feel led, uh, moved by the Spirit, you can kind of fill in the blanks and make this apply to you. So um, I'll just do that, and uh, uh, just pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, Creator God, uh, you created everything, and you created love. You made us to be uh, relational people that need to be loved and that can love. And in God, indeed, you are love. And I praise you and lift you up. But Lord, I so often fall short of that love, and I have trouble showing the kind of love that you have for me. And I'm sorry. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you uh, that I can come before you and speak to you even like this. Know that you're listening. Know that I'm good enough to be before you. Um, thank you for my family, Lord. Thank you for my church. Thank you for my home. I have a job. Thank you, Lord, that I have things. I have resources. Thank you so much for your blessings in my life, Lord. And Lord, now I just ask that you would work in me to inspire compassion, Lord, that you would work in my heart and soul and move me closer to the kind of compassion that you have so that I would see people as precious lost souls in need of you and that I would be a channel for your love to them. Lord, just give me opportunity to do that and pray that through the work of your spirit I would respond as you would. Just pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. So we can have the worship team come up now. Um, you know, brothers and sisters, I, I believe in, in prayer and the power of prayer. And, um, you know, if some of you feel inspired by the Spirit to pray that kind of prayer, um, maybe going forward this week, you know, I think things are going to happen. I would say watch out, right? Watch out. Be careful how you pray, right? Um, you know, I don't know what form that's going to take. Like I say, I think this is unique to each person, how the Spirit works in them. Um, you know, maybe, hey, maybe somebody will be in your path that needs help, and you'll be able to respond in compassion and be able to put that in practice. Maybe it'll be somebody that actually you do know, you've seen for a long time, and suddenly you see their need that you never saw before. Maybe you'll be prompted to... I don't know, make plans, go on a trip. I mean, we've got organizations here, Love, Inc. and others. I mean, there's so many ways. Um, but there again, you know, compassion brings the action. And uh, brothers and sisters, that's, to me, that's what it means to be salt and light in our world. Um, that as we do that, you know, even that smallest act that we might do out of true compassion furthers God's kingdom. And it makes our communities um, brighter it gives our communities more the flavor of the abundant life that, that Christ wants us all to have, you know, and I think that's what we're called to do. So, hey, go and do likewise. Uh, and in that sense, let's worship. <laughs>